O Lord, give me a pure heart that I may see you, a humble heart that I may hear you, a heart of love that I may serve you, a heart of faith that I may abide in you. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. The peace of Christ be with you. Let's stand and share a sign of peace with each other. Our help is in the name of the Lord, creator of heaven and earth. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our ancestors, God worked marvels. God divided the sea and let them pass through. Guided them each day with a cloud and each night with fire. Come, let us worship the Lord. All the world is a stage, and we are but the players. But the script is flawed, and the performance is stilted by this thing called sin. So, let us come to the eternal playwright, asking for both the renewed will and ability to perform to his glory, for his enjoyment, and for Let us pray. Eternal God, as the Christ, you showed us that love looks not to its own interests, but to the interests of others. Let us approach God with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, for he who has promised is faithful to forgive us all our sin. Therefore, in Christ, thanks be to God. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your soul. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. On the commandments hang all the law and the prophet. And so... As we come to the word of God, let us pray. Lift up your hearts. Let us lift them to the Lord our God. Shine within our hearts, loving Lord, and the true light of your divine knowledge and open the eyes of our minds and hearts that we may comprehend and obey the message of your word. Through Jesus Christ, our living word. Amen. 
The first lesson comes to us today from the book of Exodus, chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Story of water from the rock, Meribah. Hear now the word of God. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages, as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reciting Psalm 78, responsively as found in your bulletin. Hear now the word of God. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. In the sight of their ancestors, he worked marvels in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan, He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all night long with a fiery light, split blocks open in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. The second lesson comes to us from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Here the Apostle Paul speaks of the true humility expressed in Jesus Christ's incarnation. Hear now the word of God. 
If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verses 6 through 12 is recognized by New Testament scholars around the world as the oldest hymn of the Christian church. It is a piece of the New Testament that is found in the oldest of papyri and codices that we have from the ancient church. It is the one passage of scripture of all of the New Testament that we can say we have the most witnesses to its existence from the very beginning of the church. Paul's inclusion of this hymn in this epistle is simply a way for him to emphasize the nature and understanding of who Christ is in the early church. All of us have mental pictures, I believe, of Jesus. How many of you remember Sunday school pictures of Jesus? What does he look like? Hmm? Okay, tall, flowing robes, a belt around his waist, long hair, beard. Kind of looked like Mike Mishkowski when he was with us, right? Yeah, remember Mike? Yeah? Yeah? A little bit more rugged looking, not kind of that, you know, you didn't have that baby skin kind of thing like Mike had going for him. But, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a lot like this, a portrait that was gifted to me. That's the Jesus we grew up with. That's the kind of mental image that comes to our minds, doesn't it? It's a, it's a very typical, very usual way of remembering what Jesus looks like. Recently, I went with students from Rutgers University and with Pastor Heck 
from Rutgers Protestant Campus Ministry to the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And there we went to a, a showing of the faces, the portraits of, the, of Jesus. What was amazing about the gallery that held his paintings was that as you came into the gallery, you saw Jesus portrayed like this. He looked exactly the same in every painting, every drawing. Long hair, robes, beard. Very classical look. Rembrandt, a Dutchman, the son of a Roman Catholic mother and a Dutch Reformed father, was a good painter. And there were two things that every medieval artist knew. But there were basically two witnesses to what Jesus actually looked like. During this period, these two pieces of evidence were used to justify the classical look of Jesus. One was a letter uh, that describes Jesus. It is, by, it is from Publius Lentulus, the governor of Judea, and it is addressed to Tiberius Caesar, emperor of Rome. It was written originally in Aramaic on stone and was found in an excavated city. This is what it says. There lives at this time in Judea a man of singular virtue whose name is Jesus Christ, whom the barbarians esteem as a prophet. But his followers love and adore him as the offspring of the immortal God. He calls back the dead from the graves and heals all sorts of diseases with a word or a touch. He is a tall man and well-shaped, of an amiable and reverend aspect. His hair is of a color that can hardly be matched, the color of chestnut full ripe, falling in waves about his shoulders. His forehead high, large and imposing, his cheeks without spot or wrinkle, beautiful with lovely red, his nose and mouth formed with exquisite symmetry, his beard thick and of a color suitable to his hair, reaching below his chin, his eyes bright blue, clear and serene, look innocent, dignified, manly, and mature. In proportion of his body, most perfect and captivating, his hands and arms most delectable to behold. He rebukes with majesty, counsels with mildness, his whole address, whether in word or in deed, being eloquent and grave. No man has ever seen him laugh, but his manner is exceedingly pleasant. But he has wept in the presence of men. He is temperate, modest, and wise. A man for his extraordinary beauty and divine perfections surpassing the children of men in every sense. Sounds like the description portrayed in the portraits of Jesus in the medieval period. The only other witness that we have is the actual physical imprint of Jesus' face on what is called the handkerchief or the, the veil of Veronica. 
Veronica um, is the woman who consoles Jesus by wiping the sweat from his brow while he is walking the Via Dolorosa. It is a treasured choice relic of the Roman Church, this handkerchief of Veronica, and is shown only on very special occasions, particularly during Passion Week, of course. The portrait is said to have been transferred in 1297 by Boniface VIII from the Hospital of the Holy Ghost to St. Peter's in Rome, where it reposes behind the statue of St. Veronica. The picture, which is now much faded, shows an elliptical face with a low-arched forehead in marked contrast with a long nose. The mouth is slightly open and scanty hair is visible only on the temples. The beard on the cheeks is thin but is stronger on the chin where it ends in three points, while the mustache is more conspicuous for color than for strength. The eyes arched by scanty brows are closed and combined with features distorted by agony and stained with blood complete the picture of a martyr, pale in death. From the point of view of aesthetics and the history of art, the picture is probably Byzantine, portrayed in many of what we know today as the icons of the Orthodox Church, if you have ever seen one. Although one would expect the picture of Veronica to be regarded as the napkin which covered the head of Christ, there is no tradition as to its origin, although a mess of medieval legends connects it with the name of this woman and with this event. These two pieces of evidence were used by the artists of the medieval period to portray Jesus in the classical way. Rembrandt did that until he was midway through his career as a painter, and then he did something extraordinarily radical. He painted a series of eight portraits, six of which still survive. I have given copies of those portraits, each of them very different and yet very similar. I've given one to six different members of the congregation and asked them to look at the painting and reflect on what does Jesus look like he's thinking about or what personality character is he portraying in this particular portrait of Jesus? In no given order, I'd like the six of you who have photographs or paintings, uh, postcards, if you would simply stand and tell us what you saw in the painting, what you felt the painting said to you about who this Jesus was that Rembrandt portrayed. Helma? His eyes are sad and full of compassion. Can you just hold your card up for everyone to take a look at? I'm going to have them laid out on the communion table for you to look at at the end of the service today as well. Okay? Okay, now, Helmut, if you would stand and share, us, share yours with us. A pensiveness. Okay. Weariness. A quietness about him. Very good. Okay. Another. Helen. 
listening to someone. Very good. Very good. Another. Helen? Okay. Okay. Thoughtfully praying or reflecting over someone. Uh huh. Okay. So deeply in thought and concentrating. Very good. There should be one more, I believe. Annie. Yes. Okay. Listening to someone seem very patient as he listens to what they have to say. Jordan. Okay, focused. Okay. Each of the portraits tells us something of who this man is, but what is unique about these portraits is that unlike the classical view of Jesus, these portraits are all based upon one painting that Rembrandt made of one of his neighbors. You see, he lived in Amsterdam during a very large immigration of. Uh, Sephardic and um, uh, um, what's the other group? The Asher? Ashkenash. Uh, the Ashkenazi and, um, and the um, Sephardic Jews were immigrating into Amsterdam. And his neighborhood became predominantly Jewish. And so he took one of the young Jewish men from the community and painted a portrait of him. And what you will find when you bring those paintings forward and put them on the communion table at the end of the service today is that they look all very, very much like this Jewish man. Rembrandt broke with a tradition that was centuries old. And he chose an ordinary Jewish guy from the neighborhood an immigrant at that. Someone that did not look Dutch or Reformed or Roman Catholic or even European in some way. He broke with every tradition in order to radically convey that this Jesus that we worship, that we relate to in faith, is in fact simply one of us. We tend as human beings to want to make Jesus something bigger and grander and more handsome and beautiful and wonderful. But Rembrandt wanted to drive home that this Savior, this Redeemer, this Messiah was simply one of us. Look just like your neighbor, an immigrant from perhaps Guatemala or Mexico or Eastern Europe. The measure of our piety, the measure of our spiritual life, in light of this passage in Philippians, is one of emptying ourselves, one of letting go of the images we have of God and allowing Christ to give us a new image, an image of ourselves, an image that says that God is one of us 
and that our humility is measured in our ability to accept who we are and who God is in and among us. Perhaps the best portrait of Jesus is seen in the eyes of every beholder as you look into the morning mirror or shake hands during the peace on Sunday morning. You see, the mark of humility that Paul speaks of in this passage is the mark of seeing God in the very least of us. That is the measure of our piety. That is the measure of our spiritual life. That is the measure of the way we are and the way we live before God and with each other. What does Jesus look like for you? And how will that picture change as a result of today's reflection? And what will it mean for you and I to be humble as was Christ? Let us pray. We praise you, O Father, for making your divine truth real to us in Jesus Christ. We ask that what we do and how we live and the way we love may increasingly become a worthy response. Amen. Remain standing and join me in confessing our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed found in your bulletin. Together, let us confess, saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son. He was conceived by the Holy, the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. God's gifts to us are abundant and continuous in Jesus Christ, and so we come today in worship, eyes and gifts and offerings. The glory of Jesus, further.
Let us pray. We thank you. We thank you for the love that you shed abroad in our hearts, for the way you provide not only our physical, but also emotional and spiritual needs. We thank you for the opportunity to be servants of your kingdom. Ask your blessing upon these gifts and all that they accomplish for the furtherance of that same kingdom. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, I'd like to call the elders and deacons who assist in the healing liturgy forward. There's two things I wanted to share with you today before we begin. So many times we, uh, we pray for healing in this service. Um, I wanted to share with you two answered healing prayers. Uh, you have prayed for me and you have prayed for my wife, and I can give testimony to two things. Last week, I could hardly speak. I had been that way for over 24 hours. It hurt. Uh, it was painful. Um, after the service last week, of course, the Korean service was held. And after the Korean service, they have a, a, a meal together. Ruth had made a jar of pickled peppers. Remember that from the story of the children's story? Okay. Anyway, I took one of the peppers thinking they would be sweet peppers that had been pickled. And to my surprise, when I took a nice big bite of the pepper, it was extremely hot. And there was not much else I could do but to chew it up and swallow it. A half an hour later, I drove up to visit with Russell Kuprinsky at the Roosevelt Care Center. And as I sat down in the chair by his bed to have a chat with him, my voice came back. Just out of the blue. Now, I suppose that the heat of that pepper cleaned out my sinuses and maybe did something to my vocal cords or whatever, but I can tell you that I could not speak before, and after I ate that pepper, I could speak. So I felt that was a healing for me. This past week, after months of blood tests, of urine analysis, of MRIs, etc., the rheumatologist came back and told my wife that there is absolutely nothing wrong with her. She does not have lupus. She does not have Sjogren's. She is just getting older. And she needs to exercise more and take more fish oil. So, again, after months of praying, and I know some of you have been praying for her as well, um, that was good news for us, and I felt an answer. So many times, God does hear our prayers. So I take this, this time together very, very seriously. I hope you will be blessed likewise to see many prayers that you share answered by God. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Let us pray together the healing and wholeness prayer. 
O God the Father, whose will for us and for all your people is health and salvation, have mercy on us and hear our prayer. O God the Son, who came that we might have life and have it in abundance, have mercy on us and hear our prayer. O God the Holy Spirit, whose indwelling makes our bodies the temples of your presence, have mercy on us and hear your prayer. O triune God, we pray you to hear us and that you will grant your grace to all who stand in need of healing, both of body and spirit, and lead them to look with confidence to you, especially Betty, Marianne, Judy, John, Mike, Elliot, Finley, and Jazeel. O wise God, we pray you to hear us, that in your providential grace you will grant guidance, discernment, and direction to all in need of it, and lead them to look with confidence to you, especially Gavin and Alana on their engagement and those celebrating birthdays. Ruth, Judy, Colleen, Dennis, Mary Beth, Tyler, John, John, Will, Tom, and Richard. O God, who in Jesus Christ called us out of the darkness into your marvelous light, enable us always to declare your wonderful deeds, thank you for your steadfast love, and praise you with heart, soul, mind, and strength, now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who sent forth his disciples to preach the kingdom of God and to heal, we invite you who wish to receive the laying on of hands and the anointing with oil to come forward. If you desire us to come to you, please raise your hand or ask a neighbor to do so for you. We invite all here present to participate in this act of faith through the offering of silent prayers for those who seek Christian healing. Let us pray the prayer of thanksgiving together. Most gracious God, source of all healing, we give thanks to you for all your gifts, but most of all for the gift of your Son, through whom you gave and still give health and salvation to all who believe. As we wait in expectation for the coming of that day, when suffering and pain shall be no more, help us by your Holy Spirit to be assured of your power in our lives and to trust in your eternal love through Jesus Christ our Lord, who taught us boldly pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. 